MFs, welcome back. Hustle Like You Broke, still here with Patrick Dearson from The Activity. His company, The Activity. Otherwise, not to be confused with another company I may have fucked up and referred to in the last episode. I apologize sincerely. I was mortified by that. Patrick Dearson in The Activity coming to us from a secure location, a bunker somewhere where he cannot otherwise be found, seen, or known for what we are finding is an increasingly interesting past. I feel like he should be not only a production designer, but also a manager, a tour accountant, a hitman, a production manager, a tour director, and all of the above. I'm, I'm, I mean, perhaps he does. Perhaps he uses different names. Perhaps that's why uh, he's able to, you know, do all of these things and see all these things and requires tactical weaponry training. And with Pardon. that in mind, <laughs> Patrick, welcome back. Thank, Thank you for you being here. Thank you for the very kind introduction. Thank you for having me back. Uh, I think we before, had great Before fun. we jump into everything, I, I want to address something. Uh, Kyle, I just want to say much love to you. I haven't seen you in ages. I know you're unable to be with us um, dealing with some family stuff. And I just wish you guys all the health and happiness and uh, hope to see you very soon. Well, we all feel that way. And I appreciate you saying that. Patrick is also a compassionate gentleman. He is exceptionally well-spoken. We talked a lot about politics in part one. If you missed that, check it out. I can't imagine you did, but just in case, listen back. Listen again. By the end of this, if we can get him out of that bunker, he might just run for president. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about the activity. Let's talk about, first and foremost, his role as a production designer. We've heard how he got there. We've heard how he come up so far. You've heard me in the past on this program refer to so many creative designers as what I call and you didn't see the air quotes around the word creative designers as what I call pretty picture makers. And we had Corey Fitzgerald on the program. He is a creative designer and, and a very good one at that, by no means just a pretty picture maker. But he is a lighting designer and a creative designer. Patrick, you call yourself a production designer. Please tell us first about that distinction. Well, having started out in lighting, and be, you know, being a lighting technician, a lighting programmer, subsequently studying design, becoming a lighting designer, one of the things that shifted my career a little bit was the advent of the media server in that world and how lighting had slowly started to invade the discipline of video. Um, I've, I've been really blessed with the fact that I, I've been able to be the first on a lot of things. I don't say that with, with any amount of braggadocia, I, but it, it, the, the fact of being able to use some of the technologies before they had been truly released to the public. And one of those technologies was uh, what ultimately became high-end high systems catalyst video media server. And it was one of the first video servers that could be controlled from a, a lighting console. And I had seen it in its prototype form uh, at a trade show, and I it wasn't being featured. It was sort of off in the corner and, and sort of tucked away. And it was doing something 
wildly shiny and cool. And I, I, I gravitated toward it. I said, what's the deal? And it's, oh, that's this thing we're working on. They kind of dismissed it. I said, no, 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 no. I, I want to know what, what is that? That is totally cool. And we, we got that aligned and I got to use it. Um, uh, Brad Schiller, who was working for high-end systems at the time, literally brought the prototype. He flew it in from the Plaza Expo in time to make it to do rehearsals for the, um, who we're doing the, the, the season opener of the New York Rangers. And I think this was in 2000 or 2001. And um, as I started to work with this thing, I realized that uh, just like a light, it had gobos, but there were these video clips. So sort of 10 second, 30 second loopable video clips. And I, I quickly realized that you run out of them pretty fast. And that led to uh, seeing a need that it may have been time to start a new business. Um, and I joined forces with uh, a dear friend of mine at the time, Rob McLaughlin, and we formed a company called Idle Hands Imagery, and we became a very popular media server content source. We started this content company. That, and, and all we, we sort of dealt with was making these little loopable clips, um, a lot of it for uh, the, the low-resolution video technologies that were, were a rage at the time. And that really forced me into the video world. So now I'm designing lighting and video. And uh, as is often the case with lighting directors, um, the, the production will often turn to them for a bit more of the staging direction uh, and how that gets designed. And I was also starting to work in the lane of uh, large scale corporate events as well as just outside of the concert industry and sort of diversifying and got involved in scenic design and started to have a love for that. So in the end, throughout all of these years of experience, I ended up realizing, well, I'm not, uh, clients were coming to me, not just to design lighting anymore. They were coming for a full turnkey package. And um, one of the things that we ultimately became as the activity um, is a production design house. And whereas we, are certainly capable of being creative and doing a creative design, we actually push ourselves out of that lane where possible and focus on delivery of true production design. And as, as you stated earlier, there's a big difference between creative design and production design. Um, and it was born and bred out of a need of gentleness that I saw when very, very often with concert touring in particular, a musical artist will get focused on a creative designer or a creative director. And they, they will just follow them down the path of the art. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's, 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 it's a great thing because they're, they're being represented uh, a little bit out of the box in many instances, because a lot of these designers are, or artists don't necessarily come from a concert touring world, and they don't understand the perspective of that. And what I was seeing was a lot of backlash toward the arts community of, of these artists um, by productions, because the, the fact of the matter is when you have somebody like that, if you have, if you have just a creative, someone that does just create a pretty picture and they don't know how to deliver that, the production manager is the one that usually gets stuck holding the bag and they have to now deliver this somehow. And they in turn 
stick the vendors with a lot of the contents of that bag. And ultimately, somehow this thing gets made. And it's not necessarily made efficiently, uh, cost-effectively. It's not necessarily made with the uh, financial best interests of the promoters, producers, or the artist in mind. And when that wasn't being done, I was just seeing artists get told, no, fuck off. Can't do it. Not doing it. Push it away. And I thought it was, it was rather unfair because I was seeing a lot of great art get tossed out the window. And it was all because th- these people didn't know what they were doing. Um, once again, not in a, a negative way. It was the, the, the innocence of ignorance to the platform of how this needs to be presented. Um, they don't necessarily or didn't necessarily understand that there are space constraints on a stage. There are space constraints within an arena. There are constraints where... You may want to avoid uh, breaking the dasher line in an arena with your design for rigging, trussing, and all these other purposes, because the routing schedule of the tour doesn't necessarily lend itself to being able to accommodate the extra time it's going to take each day to do that kind of thing. Um, They wouldn't necessarily understand how you do have to design something and then it's going to break down in a fashion that fits into a bunch of boxes and needs to travel 300 miles in a few hours and get to the next place to do it all over again. Uh, And so we saw a gap and uh, within that gap is certainly an opportunity to help. And the the concept had been around for a very long time um, and was one I was actually cultivating when I was working with a particular artist in, in his, uh, his larger organization. And we ultimately decided that the, the, the activity needed to be born in a way to sort of remove my name off of the bill so that people didn't feel like it's, 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 it's Patrick Dearson's company that's helping you. It, you know, I didn't want it to be like that. I just wanted to create something that was bigger than me to provide that service, to be the intermediaries and cultivate that creativity and be able to be a service to both the creatives and the artists, the performing artists, to make sure that we can look at that and stop being the no guys. It's, you know, you look at something and you, somebody draws a a pretty picture. It breaks every concept of the law of physics there's no way you could possibly do it. And we wanted to be the people you could take that to and go, all right, give us a minute. Let's, let's take a look at it. Not, not say no, but say, okay, here's, here's how we could probably pull this off. You want something to, to levitate in thin air and you need it to look like magic. Okay, well, he, here are the constraints you're going to face. And being that intermediary of language and visual language translation so that everybody is on the same page and understands the abilities and limitations of producing or bringing that creative idea to reality. Um, And what that in the end does is uh, it it keep, it manages expectations for everyone involved. Um, We're able to, to give the forewarning of saying, okay, yeah, you can do that. Uh, heads up, you're going to 
need to be able to stand on your wallet. This is going to cost a small fortune to pull off because of the way it may need to be engineered and pulled apart to fit into trucks because you haven't thought about that back end of it. Or, um, you know, you, you, you're you asking for something that you know, a, a budget simply won't support. So how about we go down the avenue of a few of these things? Here are your high ticket items. Perhaps we can change these around in a way to make them cost effective and pull it off. Or maybe you're not married to them. Maybe that's the thing you're willing to sacrifice and get rid of it. And we, we help manage that part of the creative process and in turn act in the fashion of true production design so that when the client that's ultimately writing the check for this is getting something vastly more than just that pretty picture. Um, and we've, we've really tried to steer a little more clearly out of the lane of being the ones responsible for the actual creative, because quite frankly, it, just like opinion, everybody's got an idea. It, you know, it doesn't make you special. Everybody can come up with a cool idea. Actually executing it, that's what separates the, the professionals from the kid that just went to Coachella, did a hit off a vape pen and decided that they were going to call themselves a creative director. <laughs> well, I love that description and I appreciate you being thorough. I, I, I feel like I've been thrust into that position myself a few times where I have to figure out that translation from picture to stage and certainly not on the scale. I think of some of the things you're describing, but uh, it's, it's not easy when it falls on the production manager or somebody else. No, it sucks. And quite frankly, just like the production managers, but they're not artists. And so you're handing them a bag of creativity. Mm -hmm. You can't necessarily expect, you know, all the scaffolding to be exposed, you know, when he makes it. (laughs) <laughs> oh, well, this actually needed a little more art direction. Okay, well, perhaps you should have had not handed this to the guy that's really trying to move the production around and make it more efficient for his client and laden him with yet another job that should have been taken care of already. You know, we, we were trying to alleviate the production managers, alleviate the tour accountants, alleviate the vendors from taking on so much of that burden. And uh, in in the end, what we've realized is that we do become, for for whatever our bill is, what we're bringing to the table becomes such a value-added service of cost efficiency that it pales in comparison to the overall bills. And it's it's really worked out well, thank God, knock on wood. It's it's been a nice journey. Well, it sounds like you're bringing others along with you for that journey too. So we appreciate that. So why don't you tell us a little more about this haven you've created at the Academy Activity, Activity, I'm reading the word, it's still coming out wrong, time to stop smoking dope, got it, next. Um, I mean, we've talked a lot about mentorship on this program. We've talked to a couple of people who believe in the value and importance of bringing along the next generation. You've alluded to that. Again, you used the word haven. Tell us about the haven that you've created at the activity. It's it's really just there to be the service. Um, we have we have a section of the activity that we we call strategic partnership services, and it's solely designed to help other designers 
with that side of the technical delivery process. We brand it different ways where the designer can work under the flag of the activity, which obviously affords them um, a, a lot of other assurances, such as, you know, ultimately we're doing the job in the end. So uh, it's covered under our insurance policies and, and things of that nature. So there's a lot of value add to that. Or we don't do any of that and we rebrand it solely with that designer's brand. And ultimately, one way or the other, we're helping those designers, those creatives build their own brand and go up the ladder themselves to the point where they don't need us anymore. And, and that's the ultimate goal. And uh, I think a lot of people would look at that as being fucking crazy because, well, aren't you just making competition? And I, we don't see it that way at all. Um, quite frankly, we, we've, we've seen a few people try to imitate the, the business model and nobody has truly thrived at doing it at all. Most have failed miserably um, because they, they don't truly understand the level of commitment and hard work it takes to do that. You can't just um, be a one-man show on a laptop and provide the same level of service uh, hanging out all week um, and just you know hit, just working when the emails come in and, and knocking out a few of the tasks. It's you know, it's, it's, we do a lot of 16 hour days around here, um, much, much to my wife's chagrin, who hates the fact that I work so much, but um, it's, it's what's, what it takes to deliver that kind of product and make it value additive for the clients. Um, and in the end, what we're doing is ultimately mentoring through our service and we're teaching how the next generation and, and even the older generation, mind you, because I, I have a lot of um, we, we've serviced a lot of uh, other very well established designers in the industry who simply want a more professional presentation. Um, they, you know, they've they've come and said, "Listen, I I, I want to deliver. I, I don't want to hand upstaging a napkin plot anymore. I really would like to see this done professionally." Uh, so that my client feels that they're getting a little more for the money than than how I normally present myself, or they're in the creative process uh, at the beginning and cultivating the ideas, and they want renderings uh, done in a way that are much more upscale than um, what they would put forth. A lot of young designers are coming to us where they're thrown in the mix of bidding creatively against very well established designers. And, and having been there myself, uh, what, what an overwhelming feeling artistically um, to, to have to put forth a rendered creative bid of a beautiful idea, knowing that you don't have the technical knowledge, artistic drawing capability or resources to present something of that level. And you know that in your heart of hearts that your creative idea blows away a well-established designer's idea who may have just shipped this out really quick. And it's, it's a half copied thing off of something he's done before, but he knows he's going to lose it because there's name recognition and the picture's way prettier. And so a lot of them come to us just for that. Hey, can you up my game? You know, would you do a set of renderings for us that have our logo on it so that we can, 
at least give this a shot. This is a, a one-shot deal. This may make or break our next uh, evolution in our company to be able to get this artist tour. You know, we'll help cultivate that talent. Because um, in the end, I always look at these things as uh, I'm rarely competing against any of these guys on these things. I don't, there's usually jobs that personally I don't want anything to do with. Um, I've, I've really got to a point in my career where I've, I've become a little crotchety about the whole concept of concert uh, touring and, and being a part of that overall creative process and how much of a time suck it is for me personally. And it's just not my personal desire having been there and done it already. So I'd much rather see these guys thrive and help cultivate them while still providing a service within the business that is using all the expertise that, and uh, you know, all the vast knowledge that we've accumulated over the years and being able to help present that kind of stuff. So hopefully in the end, we're helping the next generation and, and paying it a little forward. And of course, building a much larger system of a company in the process. Sounds like you're raising the bar, paying it forward. I love all that. That's fantastic. So tell us something else then. So over the years, you've obviously been doing this a long time. There seem to be a couple of trends that are accelerating and, and we hope we hear at Hustle Like You Broke, will continue accelerating coming out of the pandemic. And that would be the emergence of new technologies, not just in terms of lighting and video, but also in terms of AR, VR, XR. Um, and, but, and at the same time, there's also been a push for greater sustainability, which I'd imagine also factors into some of your design work. Yeah, there's, well, there's a lot. Of, I mean, it's, it's such a difficult thing um, as we as we plan on what's on the other side of this. Uh, I've I've been really blessed to have been invited into way more fucking Zoom calls than I ever wanted to in my life through through this whole thing, uh, <laughs> but most of which have been focused on the business um, and have uh, thrust us into the company of a lot of heavy hitters and business leaders within the, the, the industry. And it's, it's been a wonderful time to be able to network with them. A lot of them, you know, with, with the mentorship capabilities and being able to push ideas back and forth, but primarily to have an understanding of what it's going to take as we come out of this. And I think that on the technology side, certainly, you know, everybody and their fucking brothers doing AR, XR, MR, whatever the hell you want to, call it, you know, the, the, the volume of the Mandalorian, as I like to just narrow it down to, because that's really where it all came from. Um, everybody's doing that. There's obviously the big shift to that. Uh, it's, I am not discounting its importance um, and its creative use. There's, there's tons of stuff you can do with it. Um, we've seen some interesting things done with it. Uh, we've seen a lot of one tricks with it. I'm not sure that that technology in the way it's currently being used is something that is visually sustainable. I think it's great to be able to do uh, a performance with it and make something special out of it, but there's only so many times you can utilize that technology without it looking like uh, a Super Mario Brothers game of hopping from one mushroom to the next. Uh, and I, I think it gets a, a little or it's going to get a little stale after a while or audiences are very savvy and crave more. So um, perhaps we'll see some more development on other visual technologies that help push this along. 
But more importantly, in, in regards to sustainability, uh, I think that what we're really going to see become the, one of the hardest hit sectors of our industry are the, the uh, equipment manufacturers. Because coming out of this, we will have effectively seen vendor houses sitting on equipment for roughly a year or more potentially horrible thing to think of but the but the true reality of it as a designer i if if i come out of this gate saying all right well i want the latest greatest whiz bang looking toys on the tour i cannot expect anything other than to be blacklisted from the industry because if you go out and make prg or a four wall go spend $100,000 or more on a bunch of new technology just because you can't pull off putting a show together with what's on the shelf at that time, you're, you're not going to be received warmly at all. And so I think there's a huge um, responsibility for us as designers to, uh, once again, be considerate and gentle to the rest in the industry and understand that uh, if, if, if there was never a time before to use what's on these shelves, this is it, um, and get that stuff back on the payroll for them and generate an income. Uh, subsequently, I think we're going to see a lot of our, our manufacturers hit pretty hard in that regard. Um, and the only thing I can help encourage is uh, to hit the insurance companies hard. So guys, if you can design rigs with a lot of stuff that hangs out in the rain and gets fucked up, I think that'll be great. Because we can put into insurance claims and uh, get some parts manufacturing going for these guys. <laughs> might generate some income for them. But I think it's going to be a tough road for everybody. Now, I think that that's wise to look at recycled parts. And I appreciate what you're saying, certainly about suggesting any of the major companies go and manufacture new product coming out of this. But I'm curious what that does for companies like Tate Towers and those that are in the business of new construction and putting these pieces together, how, how do you think that, how, how are they impacted? Um, I, well, I, I think that you, you're always going to have creatives wanting a new set and a lot of cool, uh, you know, beautiful things made customized. Um, and I, so I don't, I don't foresee uh, the desire holding back anything there. Um, you know, I think that if, if you can get that going, Tate's going to be fine in that regard. What I do see a problem with is our budgets coming out of the gate and the willingness to spend money on those shows the first, you know, say six months as, as we ramp back up. Um, I think you're going to see the, a lot of the, you know, all, all the, the larger headline acts that have had their contracts re-signed for 2021. Um, I, you know, I, they, they were all planning things in the beginning. You know, you can argue that maybe perhaps a certain amount of that budget was still allotted for and maybe held for that still, and they'll still do the giant spectacle. Um, but I think a lot of the smaller acts will not be spending as much money. So, you know, I believe it's just going to be a proportional hit across the board. Once again, though, we're speculating. 
you know, we're, we're, we're talking about the other end of this tunnel as if we truly know what's what's going to happen. Um, and I know that people want answers, but there, there are no fucking answers to give. We, you know, we, we can only look at something and be just realistic about what we would expect to reasonably happen. Um, you know, we, we could we could see a complete opposite thing turn around. You know, we, we could see people that are so starved for live events that when you get to put them on, every goddamn thing on the planet is sold out. Um, and in which case, you know, ticket, if, if pre-ticket sales go through the roof, that's when artists really start spending money on, on a show because they know that they're protected financially in that regard and they're going to deliver something even cooler. Um, it's when an artist has pre-ticket sales in the shitter that they, they start ramping everything back and want to save, you know, every, every penny going out. So I think a lot of that um, is what's going to dictate how we will bounce back in all the various sectors of the industry. But once again, speculation. I appreciate that. So shifting away then from the live, at least what's going now and what we can only speculate about in the future. Why don't you tell us about some of your other business in interests? Why don't you tell us again a little bit about the farm and why don't you tell us about the mod pro services? Well, the farm, um, you know, once again, we, we, we looked at resources that we had and realized that uh, we didn't need all of them. We had set them up quite well, and we thought, wow, what a great idea to be able to offer this to others. You know, once again, thinking of your quote-unquote competition as not competition, but helping progress things further. And one of the things we saw a, a true use for for ourselves was having a, a pre-visualization studio. And our offices are in a, uh, a rather luxurious townhome uh, on a secure property just off the Las Vegas Strip. And we we built it out for our own use. And I quickly realized that we did some we did some restructuring in the company. We we changed some things around and I I realized I didn't need all of the space I had uh, for myself uh, and then the company. I said, wow, we could really expand the the previous studios and open up what what used to be my office, which is this rather expansive space. And you know, I said, one guy doesn't need all this fucking space. I'd, I'd much rather be able to build a bigger studio to be able to bring a larger creative team in here and give a bit more service. It'd be kind of cool. And we started thinking about it. I had done a lot of research on pre-visualization studios. I, I was a huge adopter of previous studios when they first came out um, in the, the 99 or 2000, I believe, uh, pre-light studios was a huge thing. It was um, uh, Norm Schwab and Tom uh, Thompson and Rod McLaughlin and his wife, Kim Gretherin. They, they all started what I believe was one of the first pre-visualization studio concepts. And they had a, a place on, I think it was Treasure Island in San Francisco and uh, New York had a spot directly across from the Empire State Building, which was at the time where the one I utilized the most. And I dove right into it. I thought it was the greatest thing because I was already using pre-visualization software for myself in a rather renegade freelance fashion. And uh, when the, the job started getting bigger, I realized I needed more 
computer power. I needed more access to this stuff and uh, started utilizing the service quite heavily. And I, I learned a lot from them. And one of the things I did learn in the, in the end, um, you know, Prelight dwindled. Uh, they had a phenomenal run uh, of, of well over a decade. But they, they ultimately dwindled because uh, the market shifted quite heavily. Um, the uh, grand MA Lighting making the Grand MA2 consoles started to put out a free version of pre-visualization software because one of the, the big inhibitors of, of previous software was the fact that it, it does cost so much because it is specialized software designed for a specialized portion of the market. And MA kind of broke things, which is the blessing and the curse of it, um, by giving this thing away for free as a loss leader. And although it is not as pretty as the pay versions, nine times out of 10, it absolutely suits the needs of what people need. So I, I looked at that. I looked at uh, other legacy studios such as ESP Studios and, and a lot of other people had done this over the years and none of them thrived. They all sustained, but they, they weren't necessarily booming businesses. And I realized Particularly, you know, as I say, this, this is the information age and you can learn anything on the Internet. We're also seeing the young generation learn how to do all those tools and utilize those services themselves. I, I found there wasn't anything particularly special about the technology provisioning of a previous studio. You, you certainly have to have quality machinery. You have to have, you know, super gaming computers to handle all the graphics and everything like that. And 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 simply the stripalizers and a little audio system and you know, all this stuff. But what I was seeing was my experience having prevised through so many years of doing it, you know, whether I was in a studio or what became started to become the norm was sticking the team in the corner of a warehouse somewhere with some, pipe and drape. And that was their previous thing. And it was the most uncomfortable type of situation to be in and was absolutely not artist facing. You know, like if, 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 if you're doing like if Corey Fitzgerald is doing a show for JLo and needs to present what they're doing in previous, the last thing he's going to want to do is walk JLo herself through the PRG warehouse. I mean, it's just not an artist facing thing you want to want to do to a client. So in, Developing the concept, we realized, you know, it's really not so much about the technology, the equipment, and the provisioning of the technology. It is about the experience of pre-visualization and what you're about to embark upon as a creative team. And usually what it is, is you're in a previs space for several days, working around the clock, cramming all of this time and energy into a virtual art form, and then you're going to move on site, usually seamlessly, because you're previsioning right through the load into that thing, get in there, and then immediately start a very uncomfortable process of actually working with the physical rig. And you're just, you're just beating yourself up throughout the, the whole process. Um, and that's what we do for a living. It's, it's, it's the nature of the beast. And so we realized... What a wonderful thing it would be to be able to spend the first portion of that in a more luxurious setting so that you can free yourself of a lot of the, the, the difficult things you would have to deal with. The first and foremost being comfort. And you could just work in a comfortable and creative space, which is what we had already developed for the activity. 
in the space and then subsequently developed into previous studios for ourselves. And we realized, well, why don't we just offer this as a service to all of the people we would normally consider us or them competitors? Um, any pre-visualization provider could utilize the space with their client. And so what we've ultimately done is delivered a rather luxurious and secure and comfortable experience as a haven for pre-visualization services that anybody creative or provisioning wise can have access to. So for instance, um, uh, David Perkins owns Imaginary Lights and Imaginary Labs. It is a is our preferred uh, previs provider. He actually does all of our files for us because we we don't even bother doing them in house because there are so many people that are so good at them. Um, he will have clients come in here and use the facility, and we just give him unfettered access to the computers remotely. So he can be in his offices in Orlando, and his team can tunnel in through it like a team team viewer service and be talking directly and manipulating directly their client's file while they're in here working. Um, so it, it enables the service to be utilized by way more people than just our clientele um, and, and for our own purposes uh, and, and provides a much more luxurious experience. It provides a client facing experience. Um, we're, we're in a, a secure compound uh, with a, a private security team uh, that that blocks the compound. So you can't just walk into this place. Um, you can't get on the property easily. You have to be announced. Uh, so it, it becomes very easy to bring a black car in with a VIP, bring them in um, rather clandestinely. Uh, you don't have to worry about paparazzi. You don't have to, you know, we don't even have to walk people through the valet area or lobby area of the compound that we're on, we drive them right up to a set of stairs with a private walkway entrance right into the, the studios. So it, it provides that level of comfort for the artist. It provides the level of comfort to be able to uh, show for, for a designer to invite the artist in to see the work presented. Um, and then we have a, a lot of other services that go along with it. We have a private chef that will, uh, on, on request, if they want to add this as a, a plan, um, they can have uh, a meal plan set up where all the, the, the food is prepared in-house directly. So nobody has to leave the site to go, you know, take, take an Uber to go to a restaurant to grab lunch and, you know, the same, to reverse that process, do the same thing for dinner. You know, in, in normal previous situations like that, you'll, you can lose easily up to three hours of the day's productivity just in getting your team fed and, and coordinating all that shit. Um, we can either have that where we organize that and deal with it so the team doesn't have to even think about it or have their meals prepared right here to their liking. Um, there's, there's a lot of little perks like that, that just alleviate the creative team from having to manage that shit and they, they don't have to deal with it. We, we just try to take it off their plate. And so that's what the, that's the form. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's just a, a very comfortable and client facing creative previous space. And then uh, mod pro services is a whole other Thing. We've, we've had a few a few uh, things that we shifted when we went into the pandemic. Um, 
I saw obviously what was going to be happening. And I, uh, I, I, I think I understood the gravity of what was about to hit us uh, and for how long a lot sooner than a lot of people. Um, and made an immediate pivot with uh, several other industry folks. Um, one, one of the things we did, we had a lot of stuff on the back burner that we, we hadn't dove into be simply because we didn't have the time. And now of course, everybody's got nothing but time. So one of the things we, we had been trying to accomplish for over two years now was starting an online store. Uh, we wanted to do a line of official merchandise, which um, sounds psychotically crazy for anybody in the entertainment design lane, but it was all the more reason why I thought it would be kind of a cool thing to try. Um, we've, we've gotten over the years, we've gotten incredible feedback on our branding and our swag. Um, whenever we would do t-shirts or giveaways, promotional items and things, and people have really gone crazy over it and it become these sort of coveted items. And, uh, Many people over the course of the years had said, man, you should sell this stuff online. This is just like this one of the coolest looking fun stuff. And so we, we kind of had this admittedly egotistical concept of, of trying to turn the branding of the activity into a, a bit of a, a lifestyle brand to some degree and uh, thought we'd give that a shot. So we, we started a, an online store called The Gear. Um, it's th3gear.com. Uh, and I jokingly say I, I turned a multi-million dollar design firm into a t-shirt company for the fucking pandemic, but it's, it's kind of what we try. Um, and so we're, we're, we've got a lot of, we're slowly building the store and, um, we're doing a lot of different items within that store, just as the pivot in a, in a way, um, we, we had already been planning it and, we thought, well, this is kind of the perfect time to give it a shot. It's a, it's a nice slow roll, uh, probably a, a shitty time to get into the retail sector of the world right now, but also a, a sort of a safe time because it's a slow rollout and allows us to learn something that's um, pretty new to, to anything we've done. And as I say, nobody in this lane has ever done this. So it's, it's definitely a, a, a very alone learning experience to some degree. And I've had to turn to some of my other business mentorship um, outside of the entertainment industry for a lot of guidance on that um, and primarily from the, the military side of life with a, a lot of veterans that have started up uh, various lifestyle brands themselves and, and friends of ours that have, have been influencers dealing with this type of thing. And so they've been sort of invaluable in helping coach it along, which has been really great. And then aside from all of that, we started a company called Mod Pro Services. And uh, that's that's been sort of the biggest pivot uh, out of the entertainment industry. Um, we, uh, th this is a, a, an effort led by Andrew Gumper at AG production services. And for those that don't know AG, uh, they have a rather iconic product that visually iconic product that, um, I'm sure most people have seen if they've ever watched uh, any major festival, uh, they have a thing called the mega structure, which is a giant arch, um, structure that's utilized uh, certainly at Ultra Music Festival and Coachella and, and a lot of others. Um, they've used it for the Super Bowl many times. And Andrew has built a wildly impressive career and a huge production company himself. Uh, 
doing all the staging, lighting, video, and so on. And, and also has, obviously, because he's making these structures, a ton of manufacturing capability. And I think we were probably two or three weeks into the pandemic shutdown. We were on a Zoom call. There was a representative from AEG on there that had admitted that all major contracts for the major touring productions had been re- renegotiated and re-signed for 2021. And it was at that point immediately, Andrew and I looking at each other on that Zoom call, and with, with the guy looking at our little pictures up there with this look of horror on our faces. And within the hour after that Zoom call, we're on a phone together talking about this modular concept that had already been done for another client for a, an experiential marketing campaign. And he said, we've, we made these trailers, basically a a shipping container, but they're built from the ground up. They're not repurposed shipping containers because those actually don't lend themselves very well to this purpose. Um, And he said, we made these that interlock and are weatherproof and sealed and have all the electrical and uh, HVAC in them. And sort of gave me the description of this thing. And he said, you know, I think this would be kind of a cool thing to look into doing a field hospital with. And um, he said, would you, would you mind driving up here and taking a look at what we got in the shop? I have these, these trailers that we already did here. Uh, I'll send you some pictures. And, so, and sure enough, we, we checked it out. And we immediately assembled an entire team of people to engineer from the ground up uh, a set of these trailers that can click together to create an emergency field hospital. And, the, and these are quite different from... Uh, a lot of the pivots that have been done within the entertainment industry with, uh, you know, doing, you know, drive up COVID testing tents and, and things like that, which are, are great things for any company to try and do anything you can do in, a, in, in this particular situation to pivot out is a fantastic thing. Um, but these are a, a little more uh, involved than any of that kind of solution. Um, they're, they're made for true disaster relief. Um, they're, they're made to do more than just COVID testing. Uh, but we've done all of the engineering of this that includes uh, electrical HVAC, HEPA filtering, uh, biocontainment, uh, fire suppression, all plumbing, and so on. Um, we've, we've learned more and become subject matter experts on more medical processes than we ever thought we wanted to. We were actually standing in the, in the shop yesterday shaking our heads going, man, if you told me that this is this time last year, that this is what we would be doing today, I'd tell you you're out of your fucking mind. You know, we never thought in a million years that this would be what we would be manufacturing. But we've retooled his entire warehouse into a series of assembly lines to produce these. So ultimately what we've been able to do is was save an entire contingent of staff who otherwise would have been out of work. And that was the impetus for the whole thing to begin with was to desperately try and put production people back to work and coming up with the concept of it. So we immediately thought, well, we, the first thing we can do is we can have the design staff and engineers that we normally work with on other projects engineer this thing from the ground up. So we'll create some jobs there. The next thing is we'll be able to put a bunch of 
people to work on an assembly line. So we've got some production people we can put onto that. And then the third step, obviously, being now we can provide as part of the business plan a service to those agencies and companies that are buying into this product um, for their own uses, the training and staffing to be able to deal with it on site. Because at the end of the day, what we have created is just a different industry version of what we put together on sites on a daily basis for any of these festivals. Um, the, the, the same site planning goes into play, the same structural engineering goes into play, the same delivery methods go into play. Um, we've just engineered these things to also accommodate tons of other standards and certifications that we normally wouldn't have to deal with because these are made to go together and be zoned as a permanent installation, even though they are temporary. So they're over-engineered well and above past that to meet things like all of the Army Corps engineering standards, uh, NAFTA fire suppression safety standards, uh, ISO shipping standards, and so on. So it's been uh, quite an endeavor and a major pivot uh, out of the industry. And um, it's been amazing to see it come to life uh, because in studying this and becoming subject matter experts in this type of delivery of this product, we were you know, you immediately go and look at what the competition is. You know, as, as, firstly, has somebody done this already? Have, have is somebody doing it better um, than whatever you dreamed up? And what we have seen thus far is that pretty much nobody has delivered anything other than conceptual renderings. And the thing that has made this product so different is that we have actually invested in it and brought it to life. So as, as we're recording this, we've got a team that is today putting in all the flooring and uh, finishing plumbing installations on them. Uh, and I think perhaps by the time you're hearing this episode, uh, we may be uh, fully in the public eye. Um, we were, we have a, a press team that's working on doing all of the, the release launches of it, both locally and on a national level. Um, and hopefully by the time you hear this, this will, this will all be um, publicly available to the world and ready to go and hopefully saving lives at that time and putting people back to work, which is what we set out to do to begin with. Appreciate so that's all my, of my long-winded bullshit story of <laughs> all the pivots that we've done throughout this. No, no bullshit. Sounds like the hustle. That is what we talk about. We appreciate you putting people to work. We appreciate you using your creativity for a greater good to our fans out there. Mod Pro Services. Thankfully, I said that one correctly. Mod Pro Services. Please check that out. Let's, uh, you know, show our support to Patrick for that venture. Uh, Ironically enough, my, my next call today is about our website because our website is currently a placeholding piece of crap and we are about <laughs> to, 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 to do a big shift into a, a full properly done website. Um, we have a, a full web team developing that. So those of you going to the site, hopefully it is revamped and up by that point. You know, check hopefully it out. so, yes. And, and once it is fully revamped and up, please, by all means, tell us that so we can list it in our resource center at the Hustle Like You Broke website no, for people that. that can check it out there. Certainly want to be supportive. So more importantly than anything else, you know, we, we, we talk about the, the whole concept of hustling. Um, I, I had, had warned a, a group of uh, programmers and designers that I, I was on a private forum with 
uh, about two weeks before the pandemic hit. And I, 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 I tend to be a, a little more of a, a tough love kind of guy. I'm not, I'm not particularly gentle when it comes to, to coaching people because I, I find it, most of the time you got to snap them out of their funk and hit them hard with, with realizing the gravity of their condition. And I had warned these guys what was about to come and nobody was really understanding it. And I said, the first thing you need to do is start to figure out ways of alternative income. And when we talk about hustling, you shouldn't be waiting for a pandemic situation to start your hustle, start your side hustles. You know, from this a standard business model of personal finance is that you should have multiple sources of income. If you only have one source of income, you're going to work until you die. That's just how it's going to go. And you need to figure out ways. One of the, one of the, the most memorable things anybody ever said to me was it was a, a neighbor of mine who is this entrepreneur and he was, uh, he's wildly intelligent computer programmer as well. And he was coming up with this uh, algorithm thing that he was interfacing with eBay and a whole bunch of other stuff. And we were having lunch and he, he was all excited that he finally did it. He cracked the code. He was struggling with it for weeks, trying to get the computer code to work. And he just said, man, I, I just, I set out to do this because I just needed something that generated money while I slept. And that is, isn't necessarily a new statement in, in sort of the, the, the business hustling mentorship minds, but it's a powerful one and it's a true one. If there's anything I could encourage everybody listening to do is to start looking into other ways that you should be making money, whether that's in real estate, which should be a, a line you should be going down anyway, and then finding something else. If you have a craft or a talent to be able to manufacture something, to be able to make an online store that does that, um, whatever it is, you should really go and seek for yourself the ability to create other lines, streams of revenue outside of doing what you love, which if you're listening to this, you probably have this love for art and production and the concert industry and live events. And it's great. You, you should not give up doing those wonderful things because they are fulfilling. They're usually profitable. They're a great way to make a living, but you should also be cultivating all of these other things. They are wildly important. And when the bullshit hits the fan like it has during this pandemic, these are the things that could possibly sustain you or free you up to not be so wildly stressed out like I often am about, oh, my God, what's what? how is this going to end? And be able to concentrate on some other things, be able to cultivate these other things. All we have is time right now for most people in this industry. If there's ever a time to start cultivating a side hustle, start learning new skill sets, just cultivating yourself as an individual, make yourself more valuable. This is it. You're never going to get, hopefully, never going to get this opportunity in your lifetime ever again. You really make the most of this time. I mean, if we never said another thing on this podcast, this would kind of make a nice dovetail to the first episode we ever recorded where that exact sentiment was discussed and addressed. And I, I couldn't have said it better. I'm certain I did not say it better myself. Uh, I do remember referencing the fact that I thought I had a diverse business between a number of clients and a number of areas and departments in which I was working across the industry until I realized they were all live event oriented. So 
again, truer words have never been spoken. Diversification is uh, something all of us should be considering as we develop our various hustles. And again, Patrick, you have been fantastic. We are now coming up on the end of our second hour. Uh, I would like to quickly move into what we call our quick hits before we wrap. Although I, I guess I would be remiss. Our tech support uh, here at the podcast, his name is Sam, and Sam's been working with me for a number of years. Nobody hears his voice, but he is actively involved in all of our discussions. He's actively involved in all of the planning um, when it comes to putting the podcast together, releasing it. He's the one sending the emails, the tweets, etc. And um, he has texted us at least 11 times in the last two hours. He's going to take exception to that number because it's probably closer to two. But I'm going to call it 11 times that he has texted us asking us to ask about your experience working with David Blaine and in the magic space. Please tell us something humorous, funny that uh, Sam will appreciate. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, well, so I, I, it was only one project that I, I did with David Blaine. Um, and I was a part of a, a larger team. Um, and David was performing, he was, he was filming a, a show, reality show. Um, so we were rolling a lot of cameras. There's some, some footage online about all of this. But the event that we were working on was for a corporate event where he was to be the talent performing. And he was going to be doing some various uh, in, in endurance art gags. Um, and the, the first of which was we had a, a giant snow globe. And by giant, I mean this thing was probably 12 feet in diameter, huge water snow globe with fish in it. Um, it was all lit up. And he would be dropping in from the ceiling upside down, Houdini style, dunked into this tank where he would do a breath hold for a very extended amount of time. I forget exactly how it was either you know, 15 or 20 minutes uh, just sitting in this tank on stage while other things were going on on stage. He was literally just, this, you know, it's like, oh yeah, here's David Blaine through this entire segment is just sitting underwater on a single breath hold. Um, so there's, there's a few interesting pictures on the web of me uh, helping on the production design on that, uh, where I am actually in the snow globe doing underwater knot tying and deal with rigging and um, cleaning it and <laughs> a lot of other things that you don't normally see uh, or call a typical day at the office, shall we say. Um, you tend to have to go a, a little above and beyond in that regard. Um, the other section of this is probably what Sam is referring to that was a little more extreme. The next gag that David was going to do was uh, catch a bullet in his mouth. And the reality of this was that we were helping David Blaine shoot himself in the face on stage in front of 10,000 people. And it's a pretty nerve wracking thing. And he had been practicing it and the margins of error for this are, are psychotic and it re really does require a, a lot of concentration and production design and everything has to be right. Um, prior to that, because of my experience, past experience with firearms um, and my involvement in the firearms community, 
I was asked to be a member or basically lead a team of to take David out into the Nevada desert to practice this. And um, sort of the, the more darkly humorous part of this was my vehement refusal to do any of it without having a, uh, the Nevada state police involved um, because I was not about to walk out into the middle of the desert to assist a celebrity shooting himself in the face. God forbid anything went wrong. It, you know, this was not going to look good. There's, there's, there's no way you could really pitch this to a judge. Like, oh no, we were, we were just practicing the, the stage gag. You know, it didn't really work that way because we're using real bullets. He's catching a bullet in a steel cup in his mouth with a special dental piece that's created and everything that goes along with it. And so it was, uh, it was a pretty nerve wracking experience to be a part of, uh, I do remember scribbling on a napkin in one of the meetings. Uh, isn't it fun to take part in planning the death of a celebrity live, uh, <laughs> since sliding it across the table to a colleague, uh, cause it, what they were talking about to me was just absolutely insane. And in the end, uh, David did in fact, and this is all, this is all documented on his, um, his, uh, his show, uh, he he made a last minute change, and we begged him not to change anything at the last minute. And he was pretty insistent on on making this change to his dental piece because it, he he felt it was a little uncomfortable. Um, and he he has a, a private dentist that was doing the molds and everything, and he flew him in at the last minute, and they they made the adjustments. And we knew that we weren't going to, like the the testing of these adjustments was not to be a test. It was live, live at that point, anything that changed. And we, we had begged him not to do it. Uh, he went for it anyway. And sadly it was, it became the thing that did fail to some degree in the actual act. And so he, he pulled on a string on a rifle and literally shot himself in the mouth, caught the bullet. Everything went exactly to plan. Um, you know, certainly with, with, thankfully, everything that we were involved with it had worked perfectly. But unfortunately, the change in his dental piece actually uh, allowed it to separate uh, as the, the bullet hit. The pressure of that pushed the, um, the, the catch cup into the back of his throat slightly and, and I, I believe caused a, a slight laceration. So, uh, you know, not being able to medically ascertain exactly what was wrong at the time we you know immediately threw him in an ambulance rushed him to the hospital to get checked and, and just make sure he was okay and so the whole the whole team went running uh, so it was yeah it was definitely a different day at work um, these are the the things when you work outside the lane of just concert stuff um, these these are usually the the things that are a hell of a lot more fun to me these days, uh, doing, doing concert touring and stuff, uh, designing those shows are, I mean, they are fun. They're, it's a beautiful process. It, you know, it's, it's challenging and sometimes daunting. These things I absolutely love because the, these wild stories and, and crazy things, like how often do you really get to say you took part in shooting a celebrity in the head? I mean, live on stage, <laughs> but it was the, it was the no, ironic no. thing that, I mean, that I, I refused to be a part of this taking him out into the desert and doing it. But for some reason, I was absolutely fine with doing it live in front of an audience of 10,000 people. So I'm not really sure what that says about me in the end. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I hope if out of all of these stories, you don't become known as the guy who takes, 
you know, celebrities and shoots them in the head. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd rather have no part in, in hearing that part that again, but thank you. No, I have, I have, I've done way more to protect celebrities over the years physically than anything else. My God. There it is. Sure. Well, I, I, I feel like there's so much more I want to ask you. I'm going to skip over most of our quick hits, frankly, because I do want to ask you one other question. If there's anything, and this kind of puts you on the spot because you know, there may be nothing that quite, reaches the level of shooting a celebrity in the head. Um, but I, I mean, is there anything out of the Michelle Obama tour that, that is worth relating that you think we should know about the experience, about her, about anything at all? Uh, very curious. Uh, other than the fact she's one of the most impressive and humble and beautiful human beings on the planet. I, I don't know. I, everything I did fucking pales in comparison to the individual. Um, no, she's, she's really amazing. And, uh, there's the charm to work with and yeah, I, I mean, it's, there's, there's nothing I can really offer that the, the design of, of what we did wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't anything groundbreaking. It wasn't, you know, it's, it's, uh, a, an intimate setting in a giant arena. So you, you're doing things a little differently. You're, you're crafting her for camera. Cause we knew this would ultimately get filmed and there's Netflix special about it. Um, that, uh, that thankfully uh, a dear friend of mine from back in the day, Rick Siegel, who's this amazing uh, director of photography, um, ultimately did the actual shoot on for the tour um, and, and cleaned up our mess to some degree. Um, and, you know, made it made it worthy for camera. Um, no, but I, I, you know, other than the fact that she's fantastic, uh, I don't know what to say about it. It was it was just a nice to a nice little notch on the belt for production. I mean, how often do you get to, to do something like that? It's, it's really wonderful. Well, frankly, if I'm being honest, that's kind of what I was hoping you were going to say. And uh, thank you for that. Uh, so moving into just a couple of these quick hits, do you, do you have any other great moments that you wish to relate to us before we wrap today? Uh, so, I mean, not particularly, I mean, it's, it was so many. We, I mean, we really, I've had a blessed career we've done some really amazing things. Uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, they're just these moments in time and, you know, they're, they're, they're fleeting and we can't do them right now. So it's kind of a, a drag, um, you know, what I guess, I guess, you know, what it was amazing thing to be a part of. Uh, and it, it's one of my, my favorite things was right after nine 11, um, Roy Bennett had, had tapped me to program for him on, on two events for the 9-11. Uh, the first was uh, America, a tribute to heroes. And it was a, a shoot that we did at, at Sony Studios in New York. It was a very intimate um, telethon that we were doing. It was multiple locations. We were obviously handling the New York main location. We also were shooting in LA and in, um, in London. And... It, it was such an amazing thing to be a part of because it was, it was this giant telethon. We were it's such a somber moment in, in time and in history. And, it, you know, very much like right now, nobody was working. Um, the, what, what we're seeing now globally is what New York was like right after 9-11 in terms of the entertainment industry. Uh, we had a lot of people that didn't come back from that. Um, they, they weren't able to financially survive the, the shutdown of what ultimately was pulled out of New York and, and never went back. Doing this show, there was this amazing moment that 
only happened in rehearsal and it kills me that we we didn't have tape running when it happened uh billy joel was performing and he uh, we were expecting him but we were all kind of, i think we were on lunch break or something so a bunch of us were hanging outside when he rolled up and you know it's this black car pulls up he, he he jumps out and the the end of the block on on 53rd street um we, you know it was barricaded off and there's a crowd gathering because they obviously something going on at the studio all the locals obviously know what what Sony Studios was and expected stuff to happen. There was, and we they were keeping it quiet, but there was rumor that there was uh, a, a, a big shoot going on for 9-11. And so this crowd was gathering and, and Billy hops out of the car and beelines it for the gate because the crowd's screaming. And, uh, you know, everybody's, you know, yelling, screaming, shaking hands, wanting autographs. And there was a homeless guy walking by and he looks up, he's like, hey, you you're Billy Joel. <laughs> yeah, I am. What's your name? Oh, but, you know, he says his name. He's, and, he, and he stops everything he's doing. He runs over to the guy and, and greets him, which is such a beautiful moment to see. You know, I mean, you don't expect celebrities to be assholes, but you, you certainly don't expect them to go out of their way in the middle of trying to get to a shoot to stop and take time to talk to some random homeless guy in the street. I really thought it was very sweet. And you saw some interchange. I don't know if he you know, gave him money or whatever it was it, you know it was a very kind thing and he saw his eyes light up and and billy sort of waved to everybody's i gotta go i gotta go and he runs inside so we, we were we're all immediately you know rushed in say hey get everybody to positions and we sit down and uh billy's got the whole band there and he's he sits down at the piano and they're all vamping and, and warming up and he's he's playing the piano a little bit and it's just a cacophony of, of musical notes bouncing around the room. And the setting is this, it, it's a, a tight studio and we have hundreds of real candles all over the studio um, to the point where it's generated quite a bit of smoke and our, our, our guys up in the, the catwalk are having a bit of a hard time. So we're trying to vent the place out and uh, we're sitting there getting ready and we're, we're crafting the shot while they're noodling around. We get the lighting just right. Boys, like, oh, it's perfect. Don't touch a thing. This looks really good. And Billy goes, "Okay, let's let's do this." And he he sort of brings every band, everyone in the band to attention. And he reaches down, and what we didn't realize was he had walked in rather quietly with a duffel bag. And 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 this is seen on the in the final taping of this, but this part wasn't seen he reaches down into the bag and he pulls out a firefighter helmet. This firefighter helmet was given to him moments before he arrived on site because he had gone to ground zero and was with the firefighters that were cleaning up. And he pulls this thing out and he holds it in front of him over the, this grand piano that is polished to a, a mirror gloss. He holds it about two inches over the piano and just drops it. Pop, it just bangs on the piano. And in the bright light that we have focused and gleaming over all of this, you just see this puff of smoke shoot out and sheetrock dust and bits of sheetrock and cement go trickling across the piano, make a complete mess of the place with this cloud of smoke. And he starts New York State of Mind. And I stood there with a group of local one stagehands, bawling my eyes out. 
because we knew it wouldn't be on camera. We knew they weren't going to add sheetrock dust and make a gag out of this. We realized we were the only ones at that moment in time seeing that. And it was one of the most solemn and memorable experiences in my production life. It was absolutely amazing. Well, that's a good one. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure where to go with that. So thank you. Not to bring uh, it down. Ending on it was, high. It was a chill. <laughs> well, two more, because I always ask this one of everyone before we go. If there's one thing about the industry you'd like to see us doing better coming out of this pandemic, what is it? Helping each other succeed. Um, I think that our industry's getting a little saturated with new talent in ways that um, they make it a little easier to get into the industry, which is great because I think we can all collectively agree that when we were starting in this, there, were, there was no game plan. There was, there was no school for going to any of this. It was a school of hard knocks. You figured out your way in. Many of us got in by accident. Many of us got in by necessity and had to claw our way to navigate it, but there was no coaching on it. Um, and nowadays, the idea of it is more palpable. People understand that it's that there, there are more options for getting into it and more people are getting into it. But as I had mentioned earlier with a lot of the younger generation coming in, they're, they're able to come into it, but they're not being necessarily afforded the skill sets of learning the true portions of the craft that are a necessity. And um, in the end, I believe a lot of our visual and audio elements are suffering a little bit in some instances. And I think that if the, the onus is on us and our responsibility to be those coaches and to be those mentors and to not, you, you should be crafting yourself both as an individual and a business in a way in which you are less flustered or intimidated by competition and able to help promote and produce new talent and better talent coming in the industry. So I think I'd really like to see that more of us as a whole. Um, you know, there's, there's a ton of things you can say. You can say, oh, I want more diversity. I, you know, I want, you know, whatever. But I, talent rules the day. And I think that you're gonna find our industry as a whole becoming more diverse, both in culture and age by cultivating that talent that's next to you and not trying to keep a secret from somebody or something you think is a secret or the thing that's going to supposedly keep you employed over someone else. Um, I think it's really important to, to cultivate that and not, and, and not, not be selling scared in, in any way. Well, I love that answer. I appreciate it very much. You're not the first to talk about mentorship as one thing they'd like to see done better. I appreciate that. Get you out of here on a softball. Any shout outs or parting shots? Shout out to Sam. Sam is an unsung hero here. And I think <laughs> that this is a great thing to end on. 
Nobody knows about Sam. You brought him up. I didn't know he was doing anything on here. (laughs) Sam embodies all of us, all of us that have worked behind the scenes. And so we started this on a political note. So let's end it on an equally political note of making change. No one knows we fucking exist because we're so good at our jobs. We work behind the scenes. The most people know about us is a guy with some bad black shorts and a black t-shirt runs up on stage and props a mic stand up when it falls down and then runs off the stage. That's, that's the, the, the <laughs> overall perception of what we do as a living, right? We're, we're the, the quote unquote roadie, concert roadie. Everybody thinks, you know, it, it's this sort of mystique thing. Um, nobody knows what we do backstage and that is because we do it so well. We are at a very pivotal time. Um, We've watched industry leaders like Mike Strickland help push efforts in Washington. He has navigated the beltway to try and get extra PPP funding, extra attention. And most of all, out of all of it, just attention on the live events community and the workers. We have watched a $31 billion global industry be taken to its fucking knees, and it is not coming back anytime soon. So what can you do as an individual to help? The thing you can do is the most basic and cliche of things, and that is to write your local congressperson. We need to be heard. We need to remind the world that we exist, that we're the reason that the world gets to have this kind of entertainment. I just said I did this thing for 9-11, did two things for 9-11. I did a thing for Katrina. I've been involved with so many charity shows to help raise money and awareness for disasters in our time. Who the hell does tech support call when they need tech support? Well, we're those people. Nobody's doing a show for us. It's not happening. And as things start to reopen and renegades go out and try to do their own concerts and get lambasted for it, the rest of the world looks at it and goes, oh, yeah, live event. Well, that's, that's going to come back. Oh, and they opened a casino. So things are normal. Things are not normal. And people are going to forget that we exist and they're going to forget that we are in strife. Writing your local congressperson, writing all of the political officials, and then even going harder to encourage everyone you know to make a stink in the same way puts the awareness on our political representatives to just know that we're here and that we are a topical issue that still needs to be addressed. And these are the things that ultimately help and push funding and things like payroll protection programs and funding for the arts and all of the, I hate to say the word bailout, but all all of these these, uh, incentives that are going to help us will come out of Washington. And unless they are pressured into remembering that we are here, they're not going to be as quick to push those things through in the timely manner in which they need to be done to sustain us and to keep 
money flowing to support this industry at a time when they can't do a damn thing to help themselves. So that's the thing I want to encourage everybody to do make noise and get other people making noise because we are too small in industry to make enough noise on our own. Encourage your friends, encourage your family. If they ever want to see a concert again, when this thing's done, if they want us to be around, if they want the venues and the vendors to be there to help us support and create the events that they are so used to just buying a ticket and going to and having these incredible memorable moments, they've got to make some noise for us too. Well, there it is, everybody. I'm not sure what else I could say. Patrick Dearson, the activity, raising the bar for the industry, paying it forward, cultivating talent, helping each other to succeed, hustling, diversifying interests. Check out the activity, check out the farm, check out Mod Pro Services. As always, check us out at HLUB Podcast on Instagram hustlelikeyoubroke.com and just one other thing wear a fucking mask thank you and good night